Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Rico. And I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge. And you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is the show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about tech. It could be anything like what's blockchain? Yes, what Kara's an expert in blockchain no, now. Not, not even slightly. Why is everyone making a big deal about AR and VR? We talked to Google's head of virtual reality, Clay Bevor, about that topic last week. That's cool. Should I buy a new MacBook or a new Surface laptop? What do you think, Kara? Neither. I don't, I don't want to buy a laptop. Nobody buys laptops anymore. Okay. All right, go ahead. Laptops are dead, according okay. to Kara Swisher. When is Kara going to skip her mayoral campaign and just go for president? Because you know, we could really use someone with some sense right now. I am now. telling you, I am so politicized today, I can't even tell you. I can't even, I'm furious about Why is this that? transgender ban in the military. I just, it's enough, enough. I literally wanted to quit this morning and start just political activism. Well, I think you should. Hopefully by the time uh, you listen to this, you will have recovered from the president's tweets on Wednesday, but there'll probably be something new to yeah. listen to well, and I'm respond curious. to. Kara's as mad as a wet hen, as my grandmother used to say, and we're going to be talking about an issue that also makes me curious. Anyway, send us your questions. We do read them all. Find us on Twitter and tweet them to us at Recode or to myself or to Lauren with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. And we also have an email address. It's Too Embarrassed at Recode.net. And a friendly reminder, Embarrassed has two R's and two S's. Yes. So today we're not going to be talking about a consumer product or an app like we usually do on the show, but we are talking about something that everyone who uses tech, who follows the tech industry, and especially everybody who works in tech should care about, and that's gender-based discrimination and sexual harassment. Yes, there's been a huge number of widely publicized incidents of sexism and sexual harassment recently. Not that they're, they're new or anything, but most famously at Uber and also at a bunch of Silicon Valley venture capital firms. There's also been questions about how Facebook is treating coding uh, done by female programmers and about why there appears to be a pay disparity. There doesn't appear to be. There is a pay disparity at Google. They're trying to fix it. I do know that. But it's all these issues that have been really brewing in the tech industry that have been going on for years and years and years, Mm -hmm. uh, but now are getting a lot of attention and uh, justified attention. Absolutely. And we've been getting a lot of questions about this in general to the point that we've decided to discuss it in an episode and try to get some answers to your questions, although we won't purport to solve this, uh, these problems all in one podcast. No, not at all. But one of the things we're doing is trying to keep attention and focus on it. Rico's very committed to this about removing bad actors from the, uh, the scene and is doubling down on, on making sure that this this issue, which has, has had a lot of discussion lately, doesn't uh, fall by the wayside with the next, I don't know, iPhone 8 release, um, that it's going to be a continued effort by Recode to to push that, uh, push this issue forward so people are talking about it until it's solved. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, with two guests in the studio, Joel Emerson and Ninian Wang. Joelle is a former employment lawyer who has founded and runs Paradigm, a firm that works with some of Silicon Valley's top companies to try to eliminate unconscious biases from the ground up. She's been featured in The Atlantic, Forbes, Fortune, USA Today, and our own publications for her work. And uh, side note, she most recently got into a Twitter spat with a very well-known actor and investor about this topic, and we are going to talk about exactly. that. Exactly. I love a Twitter spat. And Ninian Wang is the chief executive officer of 3D animation company Evertune and was the former CTO of Minted, as well as an engineering lead at Google and Microsoft prior to that. She's also one of the group of women who have spoken on the record about being sexually harassed by Justin Callback. A venture capitalist who have said to have sexually harassed multiple women in the tech industry and has subsequently stepped down from that role. Uh, Joelle and Ninian, welcome to Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks Thank for you for coming. Us. Sorry. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. So uh, let's start with you, Ninian. Um, you're a super prominent tech executive and engineer and the very top of your game. And one of the things we talked about before you uh came in here is that you want to show that it's at all levels in all places it's not you know it, the way it's been painted sometimes um, it seems is that it's minor uh, and stuff like that or, or for people on lower levels being preyed upon um, so what was the point for you personally that made you decide it was the right time to speak out against this issue because this obviously has been going on for a long time yeah I think that women should be strategic and when they report harassment and that what matters is measurable results. So there's been a lot of more women speaking out recently because we were able to achieve results in having the predator removed from a position of power. And in fact, the entire firm then canceled the fund, the third fund to be closed in Silicon Valley history of 30 years. And both of his other partners resigned as well. So, and then with subsequent reports like Dave McClure, there are also resignations as well as Ignition Partners. We have in fact had five resignations in the last month of managing partners or CEOs due to sexual harassment and inappropriate conduct. So 
For me, uh, my harassment actually occurred seven years ago in 2010. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for, and by 2012, I had known about two other Asian female CEOs that were harassed by the same person, Justin Kalbeck. So I felt that just speaking up alone in a he said, she said manner was not going to achieve my objective of protecting women. So I was one at a time warning other women for a long time. Some of them reached out recently and said that they remembered my warnings. A few months ago, I was contacted um, through one of the other women who were harassed who uh, encouraged me to work with a reporter, Reed Albergati. And we felt that now that Justin has harassed so many women, there were six women willing to speak out in this article that we would be able to actually achieve results Mm -hmm. in terms of warning other women and then eventually getting his resignation. So also what you see in the press is the tip of the iceberg. The women who are willing to speak out and attach their names to it especially are the ones who said no and did not give in to the advances. For every person that says no, there's always yeah, other people who were too afraid to say no. Yeah, look at but the those Fox people. News thing. Yeah, yeah, those people are generally not willing to. They they were much more afraid and more embarrassed, so they're not willing to say what happened to them in public. But often, we will know in private what happened to those people. And it was one of those stories of something that is so much worse than what's been reported in the media that led me to decide enough is enough and this is a chance to actually get results. Right, because the predator often gets their prey is what you're the point Yes, you're um, there's studies that show that a predator generally has between six to eight victims by the time that they're first caught. And there's a reason why when someone is convicted of a sexual offense, they have to register publicly as a sexual offender. But for other crimes like robbery or dealing drugs, you don't have to register because the level of relapse is more likely. Mm-hmm. So this is why with sexual harassers and predators in a position of power, it's very important to make that public and to remove them from the positions of power when it's multiple offenses. And you decided to go on the record and make your name and your story known. Some other women didn't. What went into that decision process for you uh, to actually use your name, put it out there? Originally, we were told that all of us could be anonymous. Mm-hmm. And the reporter went to Binary Capital and told them of all the allegations. Binary said that it was character assassination and that they were all false, that people were lying and extorting and many other things. Then they told their LPs that um, that women and the information were trying to extort them. Mm-hmm. So at that point, the article would have been killed if no one agreed to go on the record. Right. And um, I thought about it, and I spoke to a friend who was a director at Google who previously went on the record for her... Uh, sexual harassment at uh, when she was in private school, um, her high school teacher. And she told me that for her, it sometimes feels thankless, but that she has backbone and that for her at night when she puts her head down on the pillow, she wants to know that she did the right yep, thing. Absolutely. And so then I felt as after hearing her story that this is important to do for other people. And Mm -hmm. I knew that Justin was continuing to harass more and more women, and it was still ongoing. So I felt that if I didn't do it and the article didn't come out, more people would be harassed. Sadly enough, nobody just believes after, when you have six or seven people, that should be certainly enough. And we debate that at Recode All the Time. We we did it anyway around Amit and others at, at Google. And but it, it does make it, it makes a, it perceptibly changes the discussion when there's real people with their real names. They are real people, obviously, but it, it's for some reason it does make a difference. It's sad that it does. Just by background, I was I testified in a sexual harassment trial. I was in my 20s, and he got off. He, he paid off the person eventually, and, and there was an article in the Washington Post, and I went on the record with my name because I thought you have to have your name. It mattered because then it would just go, it would just blow away. You know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. adds some weight to it. I think that in my particular case, I know many VCs. So when they saw that it was me, someone they've actually known for years, it also helped make it seem more credible. Mm-hmm. And in addition, I realized after the fact that because I'd used my name, I was then able during the the real work, which was after the article of convincing LPs to take this seriously, there was a lot that I did in reaching out to the LPs, getting other accusers to reach out to the LPs, finding common uh, contacts who could convince the LPs, 
presenting more evidence of cover-up, all those things I had to do publicly uh, with my name. Right. So, yeah. All right, Joel, why don't we get you into this? Um, you folk, I'm going to go back and forth between you on these questions, and so is Lauren. You focus on a lot of data uh, and the actual data about showing women's issues at tech companies, and you said that the underrepresentation of women in tech and overt sexism are not unrelated, and they're very related. Can you explain that? Yeah, I'm noticing sort of a, an interesting conversation happening right now where men who see themselves as good guys, leaders in this space, are sort of distancing themselves from these these harassment um, uh, yeah. stories and saying, well, you know, I would never, you know, touch someone's knee under the table or show up at someone's hotel room. I would never, well, never thanks. sexually harass people. <laughs> yeah, like, great, great I'd bar never to murder set. someone. Yeah. I don't know about yeah. you. Really, really impressive. Yeah. Um, bravo. Um, but I think what they don't understand is that they're contributing to um, the cultural context, the cultural norms in which this type of harassment and overt discrimination is is able to happen. So when when voices aren't present at the table, when women aren't present at the table, um, it makes it easier for sexist jokes to get told. It makes it easier for these um, types of harassment to happen. There's far less accountability. Uh, when when there are more women in the room, there are there's a lower likelihood so, of this type of behavior. You know, it's an interesting thing because I can't control myself, kind of thing, without women there. And so, it's sort of the cleanup woman. Like I feel like that at Uber, they suddenly bring in a lot of women to clean up the mess. And so, is that necessary or can't? Because at some level, it sort of takes responsibility away from people. From I can't like even Mike Pence can't have lunch with a woman. I can't control mm-hmm. myself. Or it's like, like in the Ellen uh, Powell trial, a group yeah. of men saying, "Well, we, you know, we thought if we got together when women were invited to this event." that it wouldn't be people wouldn't be as loose it wouldn't why be as much fun talk, why is that know. it's a really interesting i think it's a, it's an abrogation of responsibility myself yeah but. i don't think the idea is that women are there to control men and that men otherwise have sexual urges that they won't be able to control i think the idea is that we set um, better cultural norms better processes better policies better organizational structures when women mm. are in the room and so it's not about those individual harassers it's about creating a culture where there's accountability for that type of thing right. and i think when a culture is created by any homogenous group there's going to be less accountability it's just like how tech's overwhelming whiteness allows for racism in the industry. I think tech's overwhelming maleness allows for sexism. So you mentioned tech specifically, and there's been a lot of conversation in recent days about whether this is a tech thing. We all happen to be here. We're in San Francisco right now, but a couple of us live and work in Silicon Valley. We're in this bubble, right? But, But is this a Silicon Valley problem? How far does it extend into other industries? How should we kind of frame this in Silicon Valley? Yeah, it seems like sort of just irrelevant question. I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, it's worse in other industries. And I think... Well, Vinod Kosa just said this on stage. Right. Yeah. So that's one example. And I hear he a lot it. of people saying these things. He, right. he said it. I think it's really interesting to point fingers at the industries and organizations you have no control over. So of course, sexism exists in other industries. I come from a background in law. I, we work with law firms. We work with financial services companies. Sexism exists everywhere. But people have control over their own particular sphere of influence. So the, I don't know why tech leaders, leaders in VC, are pointing to other types of companies. Like we heard this from, from Uber a few months back. Like, this is nothing compared to the problems that exist in other industries. Is that the I'm low bar you want to set? You know, it's not as bad right. as in Game of Thrones where they dismember that woman <laughs> right, or right. shot her through yeah. with an arrow. Or so. someone will say, oh, it's not, you know, it's not as bad as academia or whatever right. it is. And so they just kind of try to head fake Why do you. they do that here? Why do they say, why are they doing that? And what do you think about that? concept. Saying that it's not as bad as other industries? Yeah. Well, I was just at Fortune Brainstorm Tech Conference Mm -hmm. in Aspen, and during the town hall, they asked a woman from a top financial firm, which was worse, and she said actually 17% of portfolio managers in the finance industry are women, but only 6% of VCs are women. So she thinks that tech is now worse than finance. It is. Finance has changed. That's what several people in finance have told me. Even, you know, bad as it was, I think a lot of people feel that at least it's becoming more equitable. It's moving that direction because of because of abuses that were then fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to get to solutions in a minute, but why do you think that happens? And how do you how do you look at that? Well, I think so the Gloria Steinman Foundation told me that when there's a hyper-masculine environment, harassment begins to occur, whether it's the military, police force, prison. If something is overwhelmingly male, then this type of harassment will occur. And we can, well, it can do medium-term work to get rid of the bad actors and put processes in place to remove them. But the truly long-term fix is to create more diversity mm-hmm. and that that will create systematic change that helps men understand women more if they are working with them every day, and that will naturally help them make better decisions to change the system, to 
remove mm-hmm. harassment. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about the, why the, the resistance to that. But there's a lot of discussion about the pipeline problem. Uh, you hear it all the time. There's none of this and that and getting women in the door at tech companies, the talent pool and and this and that. And I want each of you, you to talk about this. First, Joelle, first, and then you have been in the system and have moved up in very prominent positions. Can you both talk about that idea of the pipeline problem? Yeah, I think it's a false dichotomy to say it's either a problem with the educational pipeline or it's a problem of sexist cultures in, in technology companies. It's it's both, and they're actually directly related. So what we know from research is that it is the culture that exists in technology that creates the pipeline problem. The reason more women don't want to enter the tech industry, the reason women are underrepresented in computer science programs, which they are, is because they're looking at an industry that that tells them, we don't want you here, you're not going to belong here, we're not going to view you as smart like your male counterparts. Um, so that, that, you know, Because we don't see this in all STEM fields. Women are better represented than men in biology, for example. It's something about the tech industry. So these te- these things are related. It is both an educational pipeline problem and a culture problem, and, and the two are directly reinforcing one another. Mm-hmm. What about from a workforce? Well, I've been in engineering uh, for 20 years, and I think that there is engineering culture that can um, be difficult for women. I started programming when I was five, I started taking calculus in college when I was 11. I graduated from what? Caltech with. <laughs> I, still <haven't> ta- <laughs> I still haven't taken calculus, and I'm um, old as So well. I have as much kind of coding cred as anyone else. You know, I graduated from Caltech in computer science when I was 18. So I think that, but even for me, I still feel constant. Uh, or people's first impressions, you know, are something I need to overcome. It's actually now for me kind of enjoyable. When someone meets me, I can see that they are stereotyping me because I think, you know, you're going to be embarrassed in about two minutes <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to remember me so for what a long is the, What time. do they see? What's yeah, the stereotype what are kind of the things you, you hear or I just feel? think when someone sees uh, a woman who is dresses reasonably well and is articulate, they actually think that you must have devoted energy into those things and not just focused 100% on coding all the time. So you showered is the problem. And you're yeah, like, well, I'm basically. a woman, so I can do both. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that in engineering, there is a culture sometimes of debating intellectual uh, nuances mm-hmm. ad infinitum. Yeah, they do. And, I've seen those boards. They right. On and, on uh, and being very confrontational about it. I think that can be off-putting to women and men. Well, what do you do as a, you're a CEO, you're a CTO. Those are prominent, but you're at Google. What do you, you hire and fire people, presumably. How do you deal with that? Deal with people's impressions yeah. of me? Or? No, not you. In that, in getting people in the system, how do you change that? Because you've been in positions of power to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that you can be a role model, you can create a culture that is more uh, welcoming to all people. And if you hire a diverse set of people, um, naturally people will feel welcome. Just there's a lot of unsaid nuances in body language and in what's considered acceptable. So when you create a diverse workplace that naturally, as soon as people walk in the door, they feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Just very briefly on the pipeline thing, I mean, it seems as though that's just such a very convenient excuse for people who are not hiring, you know, in a diverse way, who are not considering gender when they hire. And there's other data, as you well know, that shows that the issues that once women are in a certain technical they role, they stay. may not feel fulfilled. They don't stay. They leave mid-career. They're not satisfied. Twice, it's right. really, I just happened with Erica at uh, Slack. She, you know, she just felt like she couldn't, wasn't getting the management support and was labeled a troublemaker to start with and it just she she was the problem wasn't hiring me which was great it was staying which I think is really so common like so very not just among women among a lot of different kinds of people creating the environment yeah companies create these cultures that are really designed around a very narrow and particular type of person and then they're shocked when people that don't look like that don't advance or they leave or they don't mm-hmm. perform their best. That's another barrier we see a lot where people from underrepresented groups are actually not able to do their best work in cultures that don't set them up for success. And mm-hmm. then it's very easy to say, well, they're not top performers. It's like, well, you have to wonder why statistically people from particular backgrounds may not be performing as well in your company. Either you believe that they have less ability 
Or you have to turn which the mirror do. inward. Which many right? do. Well, which many do. You also I lose people to look up to. I mean, once, you know, if they're, if you enter an organization as a young person and you don't see a woman who's moved up the ranks, who's maintained a successful career with someone like, you know, I can look up to Kara. She's right here <laughs> next to me, right? She's more experienced than me. And she's, but for people that enter a work organization that are facing challenges that don't have that, it can be incredibly discouraging. I was trying to get you to look down at me, but all right. <laughs> uh, but, but we want to get to solutions in a second, but we have two more questions for each of you. Joelle, you recently applied to Ashton Kusher, who I know pretty well, who wrote a publicly, it's a pretty, they were obtuse questions about this topic. He means well. You know what I mean? Like, you, Yeah, a lot I of can't, people mean well. I, he you know what I mean? I, get I, I hate even to say that. Yes, about flirting and whether investors possibly accepting the idea that less merit in order to create equality. I've always noticed that standards are only asked about women and people of color. It's never brought up with idiotic man I just it's fascinating that that word always pops up just in that context so can you talk about that and then Ninian um, we'll get to your question let's answer yours first Joelle yeah I mean I, I think that you know I got a lot of responses after I after I did that from men who were saying you know it's, it's threads like these that make me terrified to participate in this conversation right, and I thought that was so Poor babies interesting because it, it seems to reflect an assumption that you should be able to say, whatever pops into your head without doing any research at all and not get called out for it. I think men should absolutely be participating in this conversation, but they should start by learning, by doing a little bit of research on their right. own before putting their thoughts out there on Twitter. And if, if they don't, um, I think they should be able to be critiqued for it. I think this concept that uh, we should be able to talk without putting thought yep. into what we're saying and that if we get called out for it, that's somehow unfair or a witch hunt is just a little bit like too sensitive snowflakey. I right. think especially, yeah. you know, it's I think bro flake. That's I think bro flakey. Yeah. I think especially, you know, a celebrity can can deal with a little bit of criticism online. I didn't see any of those same men, you know, reaching out to me and asking how I felt about how on that exact same thread people were calling me an ugly bitch. Like that's that's the internet for you. And I mm-hmm. think um, I, I'm hearing from a lot of men were afraid to participate in the conversation. And I think, you know, my, my feedback is always start by listening. Start by participating in the conversation by listening to what other people or are Or understanding something. I, I had a discussion with my son yesterday about the word feminine and masculine. And I said, and he was like, I don't think that way about feminine. I said, yeah, but most people do. And he said, but I don't think that way. And I said, I understand the world revolves around you. But <laughs> when do we ever say feminine in a positive way? Like it's always sissy or, or words like that. It was a really, and then he finally was like, oh, I really should look into that. And I was like, yeah, you really should. So... If you want to comment on that, uh, Nini, it would be great. But one of the things you talked about is that uh, it was written that you don't buy that someone like Callback could possibly change, especially since he was swapping his stance on this in such a short amount of time. I think he's just a liar. I think that's really pretty much it. What do you think needs to happen to get people to actually change? And we're going to get into solutions next because obviously we want to go towards solutions. We don't want to just beat on people. I want to beat on people for a while longer. But you know yeah, what I'm sure. saying. Well, firstly, a big part of the reason why I said I didn't believe Justin Galbraith could change overnight was that he had been doing this for 10 years and had been actively thwarting attempts to reveal him. Mm-hmm. So it was not as though he was ignorant of uh, what he was doing. So in terms of solutions, firstly, I think people uh, should try to get in front of the problem. Uh, we've seen five resignations in the last month, and for the firms that try to minimize, deny, uh, they, for example, Binary Capital um, is now basically nearly shut down. Um, For the firms that really took it seriously, like Ignition Partners, they put out a public statement that their managing partner, Frank Avil, Artel, has resigned due to inappropriate conduct. They called all of their LPs and notified them proactively, and they have a much better chance of coming out of this than so proactiveness. So I think proactiveness. Uh, just like when we design a product, we would first interview the user. So a lot of men say they don't know what to do because they haven't been harassed, but they all know how a startup should design a product. They would say, get out of the building and go talk to your users. Right. They should apply the same principle. So they should go talk to female founders. You know, 60% of female founders say that they are, of women in tech say that they have experienced unwanted sexual advances. So if they go ask five women in tech, they will probably get two or three who have personally experienced it. And they can listen firsthand to that information. Now, if this were a software product, as an analogy, and somebody said, this product has had three or five systemic failures in the last month, and we're not going to interview any of the customers were involved. We're not going to do any postmortems. The people who designed the original system will go in a room, 
They are not the users of the product. They, a month from now, they'll come and present a new solution to you. That's a, yeah, I, they'll pat themselves on <laughs> the back. And yeah. They'll say, we did it, everybody. I just think right. if we were using this to de design a startup or a software product, every VC would criticize that approach yeah. with good reason. So let's treat the system the same way. Uh, we can, they can ask users. And of course, if a product has had failures, then the users will be, uh, it might be uncomfortable to have the first conversation, but it, it's important. It is fascinating, that little meme that goes back, every woman has a story and every good man had no idea. Mm -hmm. And it, at some point you're like, wow, that's really, something's going on. It's certainly not up to the women to have to volunteer it because they're very painful. Most of them are very painful and usually range from the very mini aggressions that you should smile more or it starts there and then it moves up the yeah. same branch. Well, as Joelle said, they're not unrelated. No, they're you know, not at all. The, the oh, sort no, of subtle sexism and then the overt harassment. No, it's is, all it's the bright line, but the asking part, why Why isn't... Yeah, I think that, the, for, especially for the women who've spoken up, I asked many of them and they said no VC has yet approached them to ask them more questions. But we hear that VCs are working on solutions. Right. So I think that it just, you know, like VCs so always even say, now, like, let's ask our users. They don't want to know. They don't want to <laughs> um, know. I think, I, I think, think, yeah. So a few other solutions that I would like to suggest. So I was saying earlier that when people are convicted of a sexual crime, they have to register publicly. Similarly, I applaud what Ignition Partners did, where they publicly described that the resignation of Frank Artel was due to multiple incidents of inappropriate conduct. So they were very clear. Yes, and they had some details. So we've seen cases where even when a founder has gone through all the work to expose what happened to them, such as Katrina Lake mm -hmm. talking about uh, telling Lightspeed, mm -hmm. It just gets swept under the rug. And Lightspeed gave excellent references to Justin and then put Katrina under a non-disparagement. So I think that when a predator is must resign due to multiple incidents of harassment, when there's evidence and screenshots and uh, credible accounts, that should be publicly disclosed so that I they agree. do not just get a new job two weeks later and then every they continue their harassment. There's been a lot unabated. of payoffs in the industry. I've been collecting information on that for a long, long time. The yeah. payoffs, the quietness, I think not telling. Um, I literally had one VC saying, you know more than I do. And I'm like, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Since you can hire private detectives, you have so much money, you have hundreds of millions of dollars here. It, it, it's well, crazy. even without hiring private detectives. Uh, whatever, they just, have more <laughs> tools. They have more tools yeah. to find things out. Well, just with the information that they have, which may be incomplete, but if a person has to lose their job due to multiple incidents with evidence Right now, the industry standard is to keep that quiet. quiet. And I understand that firings are generally kept quiet for good reason, because often it's due to fit. And someone who is not a, a fit at one firm may be a star at a different firm sure. with a different culture. So I think it's very fair with other types of firings to keep it quiet. There's also legal ramifications, I understand. Yes. So I think it makes sense for other types of firings to continue the industry standard of keeping it quiet. But just like how the law makes a distinction with registered sex offenders, I feel that we as an industry should make a difference for the exact same type of crime when it uh, applies to harassing founders. So just like Ignition Partners put out that statement, other firms um, should also be doing very that. Very low to Joel, how does that work? You're a lawyer, it's really hard. Because <laughs> I, I, I know I've come up against it several times, which we can't, we want to say it, but we can't. Uh, from major companies, and a lot of people inside want to say it too. Yeah, there are a lot of sort of legal implications of sharing kind of confidential personnel information, but I think there are ways around a lot of those things. I don't think it's necessarily confidential personnel, personnel information to share that there have been reports of harassment against a particular employee. And I think the other thing is companies have to decide to take a stand at some point on what uphill battles they want to fight. And if I were in a leadership position at one of these firms, I would much rather be sued for a violation of, you know, breach of uh, privacy from an employee who harassed people than from people who were harassed. And mm -hmm. I would I would much rather make that call. I think we know that harassers don't do this once. They they usually have multiple victims. So making a call that you're you're willing to take this person potentially suing you for breaching their privacy mm -hmm. over them continuing to harass people, um, that'd be a call I'd be comfortable making. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering where this all goes from here because yeah, the I Ellen Pow trial was a couple of years ago and we all sort of very publicly, in fact, Recode covered it very closely, 
And then it seemed as though, you know, not all people, but some people kind of forgot about it, right? And I and I keep wondering if some of these VCs who have been fired or asked to leave in recent months, you know, a year from now may start up a fund again, and they're going to start attracting talent. And who's going to go work for them and what that's going to look like? And like, how do things actually change from here? Joel, why don't you start with Men get so many chances. They're allowed to make so many mistakes. They're like cats. They have so many lives, harassers in particular. We see this a lot. So I think um, you know, part of this is thinking about, about broader culture change. And I'm not the most optimistic right now because I really do see so many firms, so many leaders distancing themselves from these things and saying, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to create this great solution. We're going to create this great mechanism. Um, usually the people that you see talking about those types of changes believe that it won't impact them at all. And I think what leaders need to understand is if, if you're advocating change that doesn't require you to do anything differently, that change is not going to have any kind of impact. So saying something publicly and then not saying something paying, publicly or creating a set action. of rules that that don't actually change what you have to do on a day to day basis. So to talk about the two that were suggested, and then I want each of you to give actual solutions. The one that was the decency pledge, which I think is just fucking ridiculous, and then the second one was the list, the blacklist, which I find disturbing, just from a because you never you just never know what's accurate, and it doesn't have it doesn't have a. It's not rigorous, I guess. It can't be a rigorous thing. Yes, pledges are almost never enough, right? You have to make pledges so simple to sign on to to get enough people to sign on that mm-hmm. they, they almost never drive any type of change. So I'm not I'm not that excited by that. I also think, um, as I've talked about a little bit, like the this idea... This is the decency pledge. The decency I pledge. I pledge yep. to be decent. I pledge to be decent. Um, I also think it, it sort of, it, it's sort of obscuring the fact that I do think there are potential um, legal rights for, for founders who are sexually harassed. I think just because... The uh, law covering employee and employment relationships doesn't apply here. I do think California civil rights law, the UNRU Civil Rights Act, may. So I think, you know, let's not stop talking about that. Um, I think all these conversations that are outside the legal realm are sort of shifting attention away from that. I, I think women should consider pursuing their legal rights that I that I believe they may have. Um, and then, you the know, list. The, the idea of a list. I, I actually um, talked to a woman recently, and I, I think she hasn't shared this publicly yet, um, who's working on an idea that, uh, is, is a bit more nuanced than that. And it's a reporting mechanism that has um, legal experts to whom you report uh, at, as a founder, and they then provide you uh, different avenues of potential relief. Uh, I think that's actually pretty compelling. And then once they've collected, there'll be a certain standard by which once they've collected a certain number of reports against the same person, that will be released publicly. I think that type of idea is potentially compelling. But those two for you? Yeah, I spoke to the president of the NVCA, National Venture Capital Association last week, and I also suggested having a ombudsperson. Uh, some people have called it an industry-wide HR function, but a place where founders can report harassment, where it can be investigated. Right now, the only place where they can report is the press. Mm-hmm. So they are calling New York Times, Bloomberg, the information mm-hmm. to be the only place they can actually get justice. Uh, that's not good for anyone. It's causing negative headlines for the industry every week, so it's bad for the VCs themselves. It's also bad for the founders to relive their harassment in public, and it can be inaccurate. Mm -hmm. A lot of the most painful details are not in public. Uh, So if there were a third party who could assess each situation and recommend a course of action that actually is taken by the VCs, um, and then publish stats So another common saying we have is, what you don't measure can't improve. Mm -hmm. We are not measuring harassment. The fact that one study says 60% of women have been harassed, and then another person has said that it's close to 0%, Mm -hmm. means that clearly this metric is not being measured at all. Right, it's all anecdotal at this point. Yes, and so this is an important metric, and it should be reported each year by some third party in the industry how many cases of harassment we reported in 2017. Of those, how many actions were taken by each firm? How many resignations occurred? If that is a matter, not the individual names or details, but if the overall stats are reported, then we can start to make progress. Who is that person? I think we are still working that out. And there's a lot of conversations between entrepreneurs and uh, and VCA and other people about 
who can do this? Give me an idea. And who, who funds, funds it? it? That's I'm my just concern, say, I think. Well, I think that mm-hmm. each VC who's taken the decency pledge should pay some amount of money to fund this. I'm concerned about that, right? Because the the, the thing that I'm most worried about that with this foxes idea. the foxes pay for their. Yeah, I mean, just like, just like companies who pay for HR functions or who pay for, when I was a lawyer, right, you get a complaint of harassment, you usually hire a third-party external investigator, but you're paying that person. So is it surprising that they... Is it surprising that they always find that there was no harassment when they're being hired by the company? Yeah. So if there could be the, the woman that, that I'm talking to that's working on this, this other idea would be funded externally and, and it would, it would some, you know, sh- sh- you could pass on the reports to an ombudsperson. But I think anything that is sort of funded by the people who are being accused of harassment like is potentially problematic. talking mm-hmm. about. But who is that? That's the problem. The press is really the only. Well, I think that we can look at other industries. Mm-hmm. I have had many founders say to me, okay, I've been harassed by multiple VCs, but I have to keep working in this industry. But I've never heard anyone say, I've been groped by multiple doctors, but I have to go to the hospital. Right. And that's also, oh, doctors that's a really good point. are in the position of power, of authority. The patient in a hospital is in a very vulnerable position, but there are very few reported cases of and they sexual get harassment when they get by caught, doctors. They- comes down on them. Right. And, and the Civil s- Rights Act covers that too. <laughs> it's a great so I think we can analogy. look at other industries where there is a power differential and yet very little harassment and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Or harassment that gets dealt with on yes, some level. Yes, yes. Like you don't yeah. have these cases of doctors that have harassed 10 patients over 10 years that are finally exposed. So before we get to questions from the audience, we had quite a few of them. We want to get through them. We want you both to answer them and focus on solution base. We don't, This is not always want to just attack us. Solution base. Um, so very, very briefly, do you think this current administration's stance on women issues and women's rights and treatment of women does impact it? Or is it just part of the same continuum? Yeah, no, I think when you make when you make sexism okay at the most senior levels of government, then it, it only perpetuates what, what can happen within companies. I think companies often mirror what's going on in broader society. So I would say absolutely. I think that it's has a polarizing effect where there is a backlash against the president's sexist views and there are more people willing to take action and Mm -hmm. to contribute to fighting sexism as a result also. Mm -hmm. That's so optimistic. (laughs) I love that. I like, she's an engineer. She's going to go for solutions. Hashtag resist. I really think your hospital thing is a really good analogy. It's a fantastic one. All right, in just a minute, we're going to take some questions about sexual harassment from our readers and listeners, and Joellen and Ninian are going to answer them. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Kitching. Thank you. In the information age, Data is the new oil, which is why Amazon Web Services built Amazon Kinesis, a powerful new way to collect, process, and analyze streaming data so you can get timely insights and react quickly. Websites, mobile apps, IoT sensors, and the like can generate a huge amount of streaming data, sometimes terabytes an hour. If processed continually, all that data can help you learn about what your customers, products, and applications are doing right now and take actions in real time. Amazon Kinesis from AWS lets you do that easily for less. With Kinesis, you pay only for the resources you use. No minimums, no upfront commitments. Learn more at kinesis.aws. This show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. In fact, more than 80% of the jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified candidates with immediate results. Right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ask. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ask. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ask. Today is brought to you by LegalZoom. Summertime is here and it means it's time for family vacations, sunscreen, and barbecues. But the most important thing to do this summer is to prepare for your family's future with an estate plan from LegalZoom. National Make a Will Month is right. Oh my God, National Make a Will Month. Okay. It's right around the corner. It's a thing. It's a thing. And that's a perfect time to make sure you're prepared for the future. It helps to know what your options are. LegalZoom is not a law firm, but a network of independent attorneys available in 50 states who can work for you to make sure you're getting the right estate plan. Whether that includes a will or a living trust, they provide specific 
specific advice to address the needs of your family. Plus, during National Make-A-Will Month, I keep, that's weird saying that, LegalZoom is pulling a bunch of resources together uh, all in one place to help you and make it easier to ensure your family and assets are protected. So keep listening. We'll have more information in August. But to find out more now, check out LegalZoom.com for special offers that are coming your way. If you have a family or own anything you care about, you won't want to miss out. In the meantime, save more by entering ASK at checkout at LegalZoom.com. That's LegalZoom.com. Did you include me in your will? No, you are not. Absolutely. In fact, I'm taking money from your will and giving it to others. (laughs) Anyway, we're back with uh, Joelle Emerson and Ninian Wang talking about sexual harassment in tech. We're going to take some questions from our readers and listeners. There were great questions this week. Lauren, you want to read the first question? I would love to. The first question is from Amanda. She's at AmandaDUH on Twitter. How can we create a supportive environment for those who want to speak out but are fearful that they won't be employable in the future? Ninian, you should talk about that. Mm -hmm. You're very high-ranking. You have more at at stake. I actually think that people need to be strategic about collecting enough evidence and presenting their evidence in a way that is logically convincing such that they can then get the harasser out of a position of power if they have enough evidence. I think that if it is not enough evidence, they may want to wait until they do have enough evidence to report it. um, The long game. Yes, because I... If you can get the predator to confess to what has happened and the firm to confirm that in a resignation, for example, or some kind of apology or removal from position of power, that accomplishes two purposes. Firstly, it protects other women from that predator. It also protects the person who makes the accusation because they have been validated mm-hmm. and their claims have been confirmed by the employer of the harasser. So I think that people should it's not just about having courage and blurting it out you have to be strategic in collecting evidence and presenting it in a logical manner i think you should be like making a powerpoint for work wow what is the goal the goal is get this predator so that they cannot harass more people what is the amount of evidence that will convince any logical observer of that then accumulate that with timelines details screenshots until you have that entire narrative if you need people to review it or an editor to help you, there you can they can contact me. I can help them find people to do that. But create that convincing of proof. Yeah, uh, you're right. I think and backstory. And reach out to a, to a lawyer. I think before you decide to wait, uh, there are statutes of limitations on on these types yes, of things. So I'm I'm wary of just giving advice to to wait till you have enough evidence. That's also a, a huge burden to place on people that already have a full time job. So I would say and have been if, victimized and have been and have been victimized might be dealing with post traumatic stress and other other reactions. So I would say. Um, you know, reaching out to a lawyer. There are also nonprofits like Equal Rights Advocates that give free legal advice on Such these as? types of things. Equal Rights Advocates, it's equalrights.org. They have an advice and counseling hotline that's free. So just, you know, that's where I used to work. So a little, little plug for my former nonprofit. Um, so just getting advice about whether waiting makes sense, what type of evidence you should be collecting, that that type of legal advice is really invaluable in situations Absolutely. like oh, that. Oh, I should be more clear. I don't mean, uh, I mean, don't, not wait to take any action, but I just mean collect, collect certainly your evidence. start taking action by consulting experts on what makes the most sense. All I'm saying is do it strategically. Do not just think that all it takes is to speak out because think of the goal that you have and then think of what it takes to get to yep, that goal. 100%. I think the mm-hmm. thing around Justin and uh, Dave McClure work because there was evident, there was an incredible tax series or, or proof and then with Justin, the numbers of people that spoke on the record. All right, two questions from Tob Heberline. Uh, is harassment more likely to happen in groups? And if so, what size groups, like mob mentality? And how often is it the case that the perpetrator is unaware of their behavior of harassment? This one, a lot of them tell me this, so this, this drives me nuts. So why don't you start with the first one? I don't know of any research that suggests that harassment is more common in in groups. Harassment uh, is often invisible. It's often not invisible, but not visible to others. It's often, often happening behind closed doors, just between two individuals. Um, and I think on the on the second question, I don't believe any harasser who says they were un- unaware that their behavior was inappropriate. I think that the harasser is aware they're doing something they shouldn't. But often in a group, many of the observers are too shocked to say anything in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage for all the people who want to be supportive to make some small negative gesture, even if it's just frowning. Mm-hmm. Uh, a long time ago when the civil rights movement started, there was the concept of frown power, where you were t- not willing to say something vocally, but you would just frown. And that enough was, had a chilling That's effect. That's a really good point. So I think if you're in a group and you see something inappropriate go on, make some noise, even just clear your throat or... Uh, 
frown. Do something mm-hmm. to Give indicate. your RBF. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Make some small statement that indicates you don't have to come out and loudly start sh- shouting no, but make some small statement so, to, yeah. so that you it indicates that you wanted to stop. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting. I would just say all men in leadership, something I've been telling some of the leaders I work with, come up with a plan for the thing you're going to say when someone in a room says something inappropriate or does something inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear so many leaders say, I have heard sexist jokes and I just didn't know what to say in the moment. I can right. tell you right now, you're definitely going to hear more of that stuff. Yeah. So plan like today. What are you going to say next time? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I want to say that people sometimes ask about the women who have not said no to these harassers, the women who uh, were too afraid. People often ask, well, why did she not just say no? Oh, God, I but that. I want those same people will then say, well, last time I was in a meeting and someone made a sexist I comment, I was too shocked, so I did nothing. Yep. So those are correlated. That's a, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a really mm-hmm. good point. Next question. Uh, next question is from Louisa Wulu on Twitter. What roles do business schools slash universities play in, in cultivating this behavior, which results in harassment? She goes on to say, I highly doubt anyone had really sexist classmates in high school. So where does this behavior come from? Uh, first of all, I'll say I don't necessarily agree with the fact yeah. that we sexism some, doesn't happen in high school. Uh, I think it definitely school. does. Uh, but what role do you think that um, higher education and we just had Frances Fry have? on uh, Decode this week, and boy, is she good at spinning some stuff. Boulder pebbles, not boulders. Yeah, I think first of all, it is important to note that we see sexual assault happening in high schools all across the country. So this isn't something that magically appears sort of later in life. Um, And I actually just uh, co-taught a class at Stanford Business School on building diverse and inclusive organizations. I think graduate schools, colleges, high schools, and even earlier have an obligation to teach students in age-appropriate ways about about good behavior at the business school, graduate school level. Actually, teaching teaching students about um, what uh, how to be inclusive, what it actually means to create environments that are supportive for everyone, Um, like the tactics behind that, what it actually looks like to call out bad behavior when you see it. Um, I think. Those should be kind and of other core components of put curriculum. Into place. There's other totally. things. I actually listened to the Frances Reiner because she talked about her experience at Harvard where they had some great results. They saw women's grades go down and uh, enrollment, and they initiated something called unapologetic, which I thought was super interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of tips in that particular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it happens everywhere that this has to happen, has mm-hmm. to be corrected everywhere. Another woman followed up named Rachel Spurrier who says uh, she had a similar experience, maybe different for others, didn't experience overt blatant sexism until I reached to the workplace. Okay. And then the next one, read the other two. Uh, Louisa went on to say the environments between high school and workplace have a strong impact on how one's personality and worldviews develop. And then she, yeah. um, and then she asked the question that she asked earlier. Yeah. So, so um, weighing in on what's going on in higher education. Uh, next question is from Josh is a real boy. That's a good name on Twitter. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, Josh is a real at boy. At bananas underscore McGee. All bananas right. McGee. All right. All right, Josh. <laughs> you be you. Are men more <laughs> mindful right now because they actually recognize their bad behavior they're working to correct or because they fear they're getting in trouble? Both of you. I think that this is a gradual process of realization. And I think that as long as there's progress, then... I feel optimistic. As long as there is active discussion and people continuing to think about it, learn about it, then we will eventually, um, we, are, we are, are moving in the right direction. So I'm actually more positive about something. I like your positivity. Like the decency pledge, because yeah. to me it feels like even if, I don't think we should let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Oh, that's a really and good point. Now you make me feel bad. <laughs> I'm going to go see Atomic Blonde on Saturday. I'm going to start shooting soon. Yeah, so even if something is not all the way there, if it moves us one step forward, it's going to take many, many steps to get all the protections that we want. So if people are making initiatives that get us a few steps forward, then I still feel optimistic. So you say that it's, even if it's the motivation is repercussion, is the fear of repercussion. You're saying that's still okay because someone is making a move to change. I want continual progress. To me, the worst is deafening silence. If 94% of VCs are men and they're not speaking out, that is an enormous number of people who are not paying attention to this issue. So to me, even if they start with one motive, many times people start with a self-protective motive, but as they learn more, they develop more empathy. So I don't, I'm okay with them having more uh, self-protective 
motives in the beginning as long as yep. then they make continual progress. Yep, yep. and they, uh, hopefully the penny will drop with more of them than less. I, you're like one of these people who gets like beaten up in like some horrible country and then you're like, let's forgive everyone. I'm like, no, 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 not forgiving. They need to still take action. <laughs> no, I get it, I get it. But what if they don't then? What? Then can you go atomic blonde yes, on me? Yes, yes, okay, right, yes. Thank you, okay, right, that's fine. You're with me with that one, okay. Uh, Jessica Swarner. <laughs> I'm literally the worst person. I would be the worst, like, helper of people. I've been wondering if it's just as bad in tech business outside of Silicon Valley, Austin, Phoenix, et cetera, or mainly is confined here. And why do you think the issue is more prominent discussed in the tech industry? I think that Susan Fowler thing really did set it off for this round of, of stuff. But what, do you think it's elsewhere? It's absolutely elsewhere. We work with companies in, in all types of industries, and this exists everywhere. Um, and I think it's important to address everywhere. I think it's particularly important, though, in the industry that's contributing so much to what the future of our world looks like, right. that different backgrounds and perspectives are being represented in that process. And I think right now, they're, you know the perspectives of, of women of people of color are being left out because of things like racism and sexism. So I think while this exists everywhere, um, it is especially important that we get this right. This is a concentrated mm -hmm. center of that. There was a really good article on Recode a few weeks ago written by Carolina Milanese who pointed out that if it's a bunch of men in tech who are training the AIs that are going to sort of yeah. build our future then how are those are those AIs going to be biased? And we've seen that AIs have shown a lot of racial and sexist yeah. bias right. after being trained on things like Twitter. Them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, next one. Lauren. Next question is from another Josh at Project Josh. Which influencer in tech could make the most difference by helping to reduce the problems the industry faces currently? Would a female leader of Uber make a considerable positive impact? Right, I'm going to ask you the first one and then you answer the second I one. I think it actually requires many, many voices over a long, sustained period of time. I don't think there's a quick, easy solution. If we do this next week, mm -hmm. then 10 days from now, the problem will be solved. Mm -hmm. It took many years for this problem to develop, and it will take a long, sustained effort for this to be fixed. I read Gloria Steinman's book and she's been working on feminism for decades. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, all men and women need to speak up in their own small ways and then together we can make progress over time. I'm gonna do hashtag frown. Um, what about the female leader at Uber? Yeah, I, I agree that this is less about one particular leader of one particular company and what every person in a position of power is doing. So I think I love to see female leaders of as many companies as possible, but I think the bigger question is, what do they do to change? Um, what are the new practices that Doesn't they're putting matter. into place? Yeah, wh what's actually changing? That's mm -hmm. much more important to me than who, who the particular leader is. So you're mm -hmm. good with an old white guy, which is probably what we're going to get. I'm not great with it. But <laughs> that's what we're going to get. Or a young white guy, one of them. All right, do you think a productive citizen at Techno sucks? <laughs> Do you think tech executives are going to change their behavior in the wake of recent issues with CEOs and VCs? That's the big question. Right? Well, a number of entrepreneurs, including me and the NVCA and uh, some VCs, are trying to work on longer-term solutions in terms of policy change. Ideally, we can make legal clauses in contracts that offer protection. And so I think it's that kind of uh, long, sustained changes that will result in behavior change. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think tech leaders have a pretty simple question to ask themselves, really, which is, do I want to just mirror all the shit that's going on around me? Do I want to amplify it, which we're seeing some companies do, make things even worse inside my walls than they are outside? Or do I want to be better? Um, we hear all these tech leaders talk about changing the world. Well, how do you think about creating a workforce where all the social inequality that exists outside your doors actually doesn't show up and affect things like who gets hired, how people are treated, who gets promoted? So I, and I do think, you know, and I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of leaders that are asking what can they be doing better and that's great because I have a lot of ideas mm -hmm. yeah and they, I, you know a follow-up question to that is every year these companies are now putting out diversity reports this has happened in the past over the past few years and it's all of the big tech companies it's Google and Apple and Facebook and all the ones that we we pay a lot of attention to and often we see incremental increases or things remain sort of flat we might see a one percentage increase in uh, gender you know diversity more women than the prior year I, don't, I never know how to look at those in the sense that I look at that and I say, well, their employee base is in the tens of thousands. So even a one percentage increase could be fairly significant when you look at that size. And then other times I say, well, should I be looking, you know, should we be looking at, well, what kinds of roles are they? Or does that one, could that one percent be so much better? Um, I mean, as we see companies make incremental changes, what's the thing that people should be really paying attention to? 
I think it's all of that. So yes, I think um, 1% is too small. Yes, I think we should be looking at what particular roles that uh, improvement is concentrated in. We should also be looking at things like attrition. So um, oftentimes the, the patterns are more nuanced than they seem. So maybe you've improved by 1%, but you've actually lost you know, a huge percentage of your employees of color. So what's going on within your workforce that's leading to those outcomes? So I think actually it's about asking those follow-up questions and noticing where improvement is happening. There are smaller companies where we're seeing changes happen a little bit faster, not as quickly as anyone would hope. Um, so I think it, it's about asking all of those questions and looking at all the nuances within each organization and not assuming that 1% is horrible um, or that it's good. Does it have to come from the top? I think it does. I don't, I don't know how it doesn't work without the top. Like, you've been a top leader. Yeah, I think that the people at the top are setting the policies in terms of compensation, all kinds of corporate policies of the employee of what handbook, this what is, is permissible, right. and also setting an example with their own behavior. So I do think the people at the top really shape the culture of the company. I would say that just like with a software product, you look at a combination of metrics as well as more qualitative user surveys. With a company, you would look at the metrics and then they should listen to their employees uh, and use that to form a holistic view of what they can do to improve. All right, um, let's finish up, I think. Yep, oh, we got a thank you from Maria Petrova, who's one of our longtime listeners and has written in before. Thank you, Maria. Uh, we also got some emails from some of our readers and listeners who wrote in uh, about their personal experiences, follow-up questions that they had, some really great stuff. And unfortunately, we do not have time to get to all of those but today. But they were really terrific. But we, yeah, they were terrific. And we greatly appreciate all of you who wrote in and encouraged us to do this topic because it's something that we want to address and we want to continue to address. And we will continue. So I want to finish up uh, with you each giving like three critical solutions. Now, you've talked about them probably, but if you could synopsize them, like three solutions that have to happen and one thing to be avoided, what has to be avoided. So why don't we start with you? Yeah, so I'll, I'll focus my solutions on, on people in positions of power because I think they have the most opportunity for influence and are currently doing the least. So I think the first is um, to do exactly what Ninian just talked about, actually understand what's going on in your organization, understand the data, what it has to say about employees' experiences, hear from people, and then and then design solutions. The second thing is um, to learn. So do some reading. Don't just assume that you know everything. Uh, do a little Googling. There's a right. lot of information That's online that can help you if learn about these If only we problems. had this search engine so, where we could find Yeah, if things. only you could do 30 minutes of Googling before saying something you know pretty problematic on, on the internet. So do a little bit of um, reading, a little bit of learning before you opine on these issues. Um, and then and then third, you know, be a vocal ally for, for these things. So speak up publicly uh, in support of people that are underrepresented in tech and, and use this as an opportunity to reflect on your own behavior. Even if you're not sexually harassing someone, I guarantee you're doing something that is helping create a culture where this is allowed to happen. All right, one thing that has to stop? <laughs> Only one. Um, <laughs> The lack of accountability for um, for bad behavior. Right. Ninian, finish it up. Okay. I think that each person should talk to five female founders and hear their actual or executives. Or executives, mm -hmm. uh, women in tech, and hear their actual first-hand experiences, the way you would conduct a user survey. Secondly, uh, frown power. I think when uh, something when you see something occur in your daily business, uh, actually say something about it or frown. And then thirdly, work to increase diversity because that is the true long-term solution to this uh, overall problem. And then for the, uh, the thing to avoid, I would say is just staying silent or thinking this doesn't involve me or uh, being so afraid of being criticized that you say nothing. I think the deafening the silence is the worst. Yeah. So mm -hmm. saying to me, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, if you say, a small thing that's better than nothing. Right, absolutely. If you see something, say something. People really have a hard time with that. It's fascinating. People who are powerful suddenly become powerless. Yeah, I also think that people can get better at it over time. So someone who makes a comment that's small, next time maybe makes a bigger comment. And over the course, people don't just start out and immediately become the most enlightened advocate in one week. Mm -hmm. So maybe the first week they just frown for the first month. And then later they learn to make small comments and they build up their it does. skill over time. And then they maybe they become a true advocate. And I believe in allowing them to grow that over time. And people at all levels of power can do that. I think people do feel powerless. I just, my son, again, I've started to mention my son again, but the other day he said, we were talking about the word, the use of the word fag and gay and stuff like it among his friends. And 
he said now when everyone says something he goes well thank you I think I look good too like when it, you know what I mean like why, when they call him that he's like I think that's a compliment thank you for that compliment I really appreciate it and it's not it was like a small thing and I th- it just absolutely cut into whatever someone was saying and I thought it was nice and it was humorful and it wasn't angry I don't know it worked really well I think people have a lot more power than they think and they allow it to be taken away from them mm-hmm. but anyway speaking of power thank you so much we owe a debt of gratitude to you for coming forward Incredibly and pushing great. Absolutely. You have, I don't think you understand. I know you don't want to get kudos for it, but being a decent person is a hard thing to do. And Joelle, thank you so much for coming. And again, no it's Joelle Emerson and Ninian Wang, and we're talking about an issue we're not going to stop talking about. And this has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Uh, Joelle and Ninian, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Great, thanks. If you all enjoyed this week's episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. Uh, but seriously, uh, subscribe. If you do, you'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. And we will get to the iPhone whatever eight. I don't know, at some point. At some point. Better not sexually harass anyone. That's all I got to say. And if you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud for as long as it's around. Or you can listen to every episode at Recode.net slash podcasts. And while you're there, you should check out our other podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. There's also... The Verge's flagship podcast. It's called The Verge Cast. And this month I've been li- making some guest appearances wow. on The Verge Cast to talk about my new video show, Next Level. Yeah, so be sure to check future that out. stuff. Future stuff, right? All about the future. Are you going to go in a time machine and leave me someday? I'm not going to do that, but I wish I could like throw myself into the future and, and have all of these find sexual harassment happened. issues yes. <laughs> solved. Not. But that would be a great yeah. future. Yeah. All right. Well, don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Rico. These were great questions this week with the hashtag too embarrassed. We love great questions. We love people challenging us. And we look forward to more or email them to us at too embarrassed at Rico.net. And thank you for listening, especially if you've been listening all the way to the end. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you, of course, to our producer, Eric Johnson. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions that you've been too embarrassed to ask. So tune in then. Hi, I'm Dieter Bone from The Verge, and I'm breaking into your podcast for just a minute to ask you a pretty simple question. Have you ever read or watched a tech review and thought, Ugh, this is just not for me. It's way too nerdy, and it's made by some super fan who just wants to talk about how many pixels there are on the screen, when really all you want to know is, is it any good, and how do you actually use the darn thing? Well, good news, we've just launched Verge Guidebook. It's the next generation of our tech reviews program. With Guidebook, we're going to tell you what to buy, what's not worth your money, and most importantly, how to actually use it. You can head over to theverge.com slash reviews, and you're going to find our editor's picks, the very best gadgets in every category, from smartphones to laptops to crazy stuff like smart light bulbs, and a ton of how-to guides are going to walk you through all of it. That's theverge.com slash reviews. We've got incredibly good videos, some really engaging writing, and of course, those very useful guides. 